For a long time, baptism has often been seen as a simple inauguration into a church. A symbol of someone coming to faith in Christ, where the family comes together to witness this amazing event. And what an amazing event it is. But I want to submit to you that a certain misunderstanding in baptism has given rise and paved the way for the rise of lukewarm Christianity in many cases, where we see the baptism of someone as a mere symbol. You see, if we stop right there as it being a symbol, we actually miss the value of it completely. We actually miss completely what it is about. You see, baptism is not a symbol. And if you believe that's only what it is, you're incredibly deceived and not qualified to get baptized. You see, and you said, Pete, how can you say that? I can say it because I've seen it over and over and over again. When someone enters the water and comes back out and nothing changes. Nothing is different. The dead man that they were before they went into that water is the dead man they are when they come back out. And that's not the picture that the Bible gives. It's interesting because we have adopted it as a mere religious observance of get in the water, come out of the water. And now I'm set for heaven. But the Bible never teaches that. And in fact, you know, when we think that that's how simple it is and we make this salvation thing just as one checkbox thing, we're no different from the Pharisee who thought that he could just do X, Y and Z to get into heaven. You see, baptism is about the death of an old man. It's not just a pretty picture or a pretty symbol. It's so much deeper. Acts 2 verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 22 verse 16. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on his name. In both of these scriptural examples, Peter is saying, number one, repent and then get baptized. And the second scripture, he says, baptize and wash away your sins. You see, so there is a picture and a connection between repentance and baptism that he makes. And I want to submit that oftentimes today, that connection no longer exists. Where we forget and think that we can just go into the water and then we're safe and that's it. But but the fact is, brother and sister, that without repentance, listen to me, without true repentance of the heart, a true turning away from sin is what repentance means. Your baptism will mean nothing in the sight of God. Absolutely nothing. There is no value. There is nothing that baptism can do. If repentance is not part of it, if repentance becomes part of what baptism is, it changes everything. And a baptism of simply someone coming in out of the water and coming out being the same is contrasted with someone who goes into the water with repentant heart, giving up their life. And they come out with as a brand new man changed a new creation. It is a work of your own faith. 
It is something that you must go and do, not because some religious organization or church or pastor pushed it on you or some family member pushed it on you, but because you have come to the revelation and the understanding and the knowledge of truth. And now you are by your own faith and belief making the decision to put Christ upon yourself and to repent and turn from your ways. So this means that we, number one, must make this decision on our own. And number two, we must, when we come to the water, we must come to the water with a heart of repentance in that state of being, I am now God right now, this and this and this and this, all these things that I've been stuck in my life, all these things that are part of my old nature, that dead man, that man I need that needs to die today. All of those things, God, right now I'm giving to you. And with that repentant heart, when we hit the water in that state, that's when a miracle happens. That's when change occurs. That's when we see the book of Acts happen in 2018. So I'd like us to have a look at the example of Yeshua, how he was baptized and also what it really represented. Have you ever asked the question or wondered why he had to be baptized? I mean, let's be honest, God, the, the creator of heaven and earth, he came in the flesh and then he and he was sinless and perfect. And then he got baptized for the remission of his sins. But that doesn't make any sense. Because he didn't have sin. So why was he baptized? I want to show you something amazing today. I want to show you that Yeshua's baptism and in consequence, our baptism is way more than what most people think. It's not even just about repentance, not even just about cleansing of sin. It's not just about a, a symbol or a, a, a coming to faith declaration to everyone. And if we think that's only what it is, we miss out on so much. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew 3:13. Then Yeshua came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be immersed by him. But John was hindering him saying, I need to be immersed by you and you come to me. But Yeshua answering said to him, permit it now for thus it is fitting for us to fill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And having been immersed, Yeshua went up immediately from the water and see the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon him and see a voice out of the heavens saying, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I delight. That's Matthew 3.13 to 3.17. And in here, it is incredible because Yeshua says something really interesting. When John comes to him and says, I can't immerse you. I'm, I'm not worthy. You are. I know who you are. And you are a God. And I can't. Who, I'm just a man. Who am I to immerse the Messiah, the Savior of the world? So John said, and Yeshua says, no, 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 no. Listen to me. You must immerse me for permitted now so we can fulfill all righteousness. Now get this, guys. What is he talking about? It's interesting because when Yeshua uses this word fulfilling righteousness, it's just like saying when he said, I don't come to abolish, but fulfill the law. Right. He, he said, I came to bring meaning to all of the things that you guys have known in your Torah from the very beginning. And he's telling this to John because John knows his Torah. He knows the front of his book. And see, let me show you what Yeshua meant by that. You need to understand that John the Baptist 
was a was a was the child of a mother and a father who were both from the line of the Levitical priesthood. This means that John the Baptist himself was a bloodline Levitical priest. Now let's have a look at the significance of baptism and the Levitical priest in the Torah. You know, when we look in the Torah, we we see this uh, this uh, this concept of mikvah. Mikvah it, it it means in the Hebrew it simply means a a body of water, and it also means hope. How amazing! And then it is used in a very specific way with the Levitical priesthood, that priesthood that John was a part of. Obviously, so we saw that when the priest wanted to serve like Aaron and his sons wanted to serve in the temple, they had to be set apart by a mikvah. Not only that, they were not only set apart to enter the temple, but also they were ordained as priests by a mikvah. In other words, they would go into this water, very much a baptism, and they would come out and that would be their preparation to be either preparing to go into the temple of God or to be inaugurated as a priest into Levitical priest when they got of when they were of age to do so. Let me read to you Leviticus 8 verse 6. So Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. Verse 12, and he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointing him to set him apart as a priest. And in verse 14, we read, And he brought the bull for the sin offering. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering. And so we clearly see here in Leviticus 8 how they are set apart as priests by this anointing, by the robes that they wear, and also by the mikvah, by the washing of the water that, that was done by them. And this was instructed by Moses with Aaron and his sons, those Levitical priests. And it's interesting because what they would then do is they would take the head of a bull, and they would put their hands on this bull and lay the sins of Israel upon this bull. And actually, on the Day of Atonement, once a year, the Feast of the Day of Atonement that occurred, what would happen is the priests would lay this, all the sins of Israel on this young goat. And this goat would be, one of these goats would be sent into the wilderness. This goat would be released into the wilderness. And it would be a symbol of how this, the sins of Israel is sent away into the wilderness. Now, I want to show you the connection. You see, imagine this. John is there and he's like, I don't, I don't permit it to, to, to baptize you. But he says, Yeshua says, no, you must for us to fill everything that you know about the Levitical priesthood and the, the, the instructions my father gave there in terms of setting him apart, etc. That's what he's talking about. And then he, he goes on and, he, and this is what happens. John, he lays his hand on Yeshua because he's about to get baptized. And it's there in the water. He lays his hand on Yeshua and Yeshua is dunked in the water and he's raised up again. You see, when John placed his hand on Yeshua, it's like when that Levitical priest placed its, his hand on the goat, the bull. And the sins of Israel were transferred. 
You see, it was it was a symbol of, of what would happen later in Yeshua, of course. And so what happened is this the symbol of John putting his hand on Yeshua, the sins of Israel symbolically transferred by this Levitical priest who is John, transferred to Yeshua, and then he's dunked into the water and he's raised up. When he's dunked, it represents his death. And when he's raised up from the water, it represents his resurrection from the dead. And what happens next, brother and sister? Yeshua is sent into the wilderness. He leaves and he goes and goes into the wilderness, just like the Azazel goat, the goat in Leviticus, where the day of atonement. And in that place that can we see the connection made between the day of atonement, the go, his baptism, and also then ultimately pointing everything, all of this, pointing to his crucifixion at the cross. And it's interesting because the, according to the rabbinic writings of the day, when they used to really do this with the goat, the Azazel goat, and send him into the wilderness, what the rabbis would often have done is they would actually, when they placed their hands on the goat and they send it into the wilderness, they would actually go and push this this goat off a cliff to ensure that it does not return to Israel. Because I would be like, imagine you've got this goat, right? This goat knows where it lives and you send it away because it represents the sins of Israel going away. But now this goat actually knows where it's coming from and it, and it returns to the city. And that would, now it comes back and here's a rabbi, I see the goat with all the sins of Israel coming right back. And that would be a big problem, right? But so what they would do, then they would kill the goat. They would throw it off a cliff, make sure it doesn't be, it's not able to come back. And so this is exactly what they later did, ironically, with Yeshua. You see, this rabbinic tradition is actually a picture of what they would really do in the New Testament. Because we read in the, in, in the New Testament how Yeshua came and he was a pro, right after he preached uh, the book of Isaiah in the synagogue. And, and they, they chased him and they ran after him and they, and they came to this cliff with Yeshua, the Pharisees. And they wanted to push him off the cliff. And Yeshua walked right through them. You see. It's a picture. It's exactly the rabbis always wanted to push the goat off the cliff because they didn't believe. They did not have belief that God can take care of the sins of Israel and that God will be the one that ensure ensures that the sins stay away and that God can take care of it. So they wanted to really make their own plan with these the sins of Israel, with that scapegoat. Similarly, they wanted to make their own plan with Yeshua. And so see, brother, sister, you need to understand that this whole picture is about you. You see, I talked a lot about Yeshua. I talked a lot about the Levitical line. I talked about all of these things. But this is all about you. The baptism of Yeshua is all been done for you. You see, when you come to repentance and you decide to be baptized and you go and you are dunked into the water. You are literally dunked with him. You see, when you come to repentance and you get ready to be baptized, it's all with Yeshua, hand in hand, side by side. He's there with you. You see, as John put his hand on Yeshua, that picture of the transference of the sins of Israel to Yeshua, Yeshua is there with you. And he's got all the sins on him. 
It's a picture of how we are full of sin. We are that, we're like a picture of him. We're like, it's like a parallel image where we are, we are full of sin. Just like he, he had no sin, but he became sin for us. And then he is, we are placed under the water. He's placed under the water with us. And we come up. We die with Christ, just like at his death. And we're raised with Christ, just like of his resurrection. And when he was raised out of that water. And in that place, in the moment of that resurrection, the water retains the sins. You see, the sins of the world, it died at the cross. You see, sin was not able to resurrect with Yeshua. Sin stayed in the ground. And similarly, when we are baptized, sin stays in the water. The water is our burial site. The water is the place where the old man goes to die and needs to stay forever. And see, when Yeshua came up out of the water and he was entering into the wilderness, the, the devil came, Hasatan, and he came. And what did he try and do? He tried to resurrect the old man that was supposed to be dead. He tried to come to Yeshua with this idea of, you know what, Yeshua, if you want to If you would bow down before me, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. If you do this or that, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to offer you the things of this world. That's what the enemy offered him. The enemy basically offered everything that Yeshua just professed to give up in baptism. And similarly, when we are baptized, and I've seen this over and over and over again, and we're raised and we ride off to that, we often enter a wilderness season, a place where it's dry, we feel we feel left, we feel lost, and the enemy comes to try and take us back. You see, the enemy is going to come and try and offer you the world yet again, right after that baptism, right after that decision. He's going to come and get you back. But how did Yeshua battle that voice of the enemy? You see, with Scripture. He separated himself from the world. He set himself apart from the world. He went to the wilderness representing holiness and set apartness. And he replied with scripture. He fasted. And in his fasting, he killed his flesh. He killed that, that hindrance that the enemy had, that hold that the enemy had. Because see, when you are baptized and you go with your sins into the water with Yeshua, and he cleanses you and you repent and you come out a new man, Many things, I've seen this over again, many people come out and they, they were addicted to this, they were addicted to that, they had this and that problem, and suddenly they come out of the water, completely restored and healed from those things forever. But there are some other things oftentimes that still lingers, that still sticks around. Things of the flesh, desires of the flesh. No one who comes out of the water is a perfect man. Everyone still stumbles in some ways. And so by fasting, that's how we get that under control right after we come out of the water. That is why it is absolutely essential that if everyone who gets that everyone who gets baptized must fast after getting baptized. When I got baptized right after that, the father placed in my heart to fast. I didn't even understand this, but the spirit in me cried out for a fast. And I call you to do the same. Because see, the fruit of all of this was that Yeshua came back from the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's, 
It's not enough to just get dunked and then have some coffee. It's not what it's about. And it saddens me deeply when we think that that's how it's supposed to go. When we think that it's all about a great family gathering, someone gets baptized, come out of the water, and now we have our coffee and that's it. Oh, God, thank you. You see, that's when it's only begun. That is only the beginning of the race. It's not the finish line. And because we think it's the finish line, we, you know, imagine you're riding a race, brother, sister. Imagine you're, you're there and you're running, you're running and running, and you see this line coming up and you believe it's the finish line and you stop running. Meanwhile, it's like another five laps and you, you totally lost the race because you thought the finish line was here while it was, it was actually just the starting line. And so God calls us in baptism. That's the starting line. That's not the finish line. And if you do, you're in danger of being lukewarm. You're in danger of looking like so many believers today who have grown comfortable in this thing of, oh, I'm saved. Once saved, always saved. It's not what the Bible teaches. Paul says that he ran the race till the day of his death. Why? Because he understood that he runs for a prize. You see, if you stop at the starting line, you'll never find the prize. And so we see essentially that what baptism does, it, it takes the event of the cross and what Yeshua did for us into our life in a very real manner. You see, people think that baptism is a mere symbol. I want to submit that it is not just a symbol. It is a supernatural, powerful work of the Holy Spirit as real as the occurrence of the event of the cross. And it is God's institution of bringing the event of the cross into our lives and making it so real to us. He said, unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God because it is as real as what happened at the cross. And if you get to do away with baptism, you do away with the cross because it is the same. It is so connected in the spirit. And so literally, literally, physically, what happens is when you get baptized, you die. You have Yeshua, like he died at the cross, you die. You resurrect when you come out of the world, like he resurrected in the same way, not in just a gooey, gooey way, exact same way, in the same power that what occurred at the cross, the same power occurs in that moment in baptism. I heard this one lady once, we ba- she was baptized. She came out of, and as she was under the water, she opened her eyes for a moment and she saw blood in the water. She had a vision from God of blood in the water, which she physically saw before her eyes. It was a picture of the blood that was spilt for her. And it's the, and see today, God calls us to simply die. The second aspect that's incredibly important to understand in this whole picture is the role of John. John, I told you in the beginning about how John said that he or how Yeshua told John that he must be the one that does this. This was because of John's um, lineage to the Levitical priesthood, because there was a transference that occurred. There was a reason it must have been John. And this is it. In Israel, the role of a Levitical priest was passed from father to son when the son became of age. And that age was 30 years old. 
The same as Yeshua when he was baptized. Hebrews 5 verse 4 tells us, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God. Just as Aaron the Levitical priest was, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And so in that moment of of, of John the Baptist baptizing Yeshua, that was a transference or an ordination of Yeshua into the priesthood of Melchizedek. John, a Levite priest, had the authority to do this transfer of priesthood to him, that authority, that ordination, whatever you want to call it, to testify. John's role was to testify of the him that was coming after him, and that is of Yeshua. And so as Yeshua is baptized by John, the Spirit of God comes as a dove and comes and rests within him. This is because just like the Levitical priests, they were baptized or they were mikvahed, and as they were mikvah, they right after that, they were able to enter into the temple where the Spirit of God was. Similarly, it's a picture. You see, when we are baptized, the remission of our sins, our sins stay in the water. We are now cleansed and we are ready for our temples to receive the Spirit of God. So there's that connection, that similar similarity. So physically that happens. It has to happen. In the old, in the Levitical priesthood, they had to cleanse to get into the temple. Now we cleanse so the spirit can get into our temples. And so then in that moment, we are ordained as priests. With, just like Yeshua was ordained as the high priest of Melchizedek, we are ordained as priests with him. And the Spirit of God comes and lives in our temple. We are the priest of our temple. And we are to serve a similar role as the priest in the Levitical priesthood. Where they had to ensure that the temple is kept. The temple is, is, is ready for the Spirit of God. The temple is clean, etc. And, the, and they need to always tend to the sacrifice. The sacrifice of our temple. We, we are a living sacrifice unto our high priest who is Yeshua. And we, as, our, as the priests of our temple, need to keep our fire going continually, just like in the temple of the Levitical priesthood. That means that we need to continually be in the Word. We need to continually be, be, be fasting, seeking Him in prayer, intimacy. We need to live a life that is holy and set apart. And this was the marker in Yeshua's ministry. Right, like I said, right after this, Yeshua went and he started his ministry. He started proclaiming the gospel. We read in Matthew 4 verse 17, From that time Yeshua began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we heard the message of repentance. We came to repentance. We died with him. We were raised with him unto new life. We received the spirit of God. And now we proclaim the same repentance for others to hear and go through the same thing. For them to be baptized and for them to come and start their ministry, become priests of their temples and proclaim the message of repentance, the gospel to the whole creation. And that is the purpose Man, that is what discipleship is, and that is what God calls us to. And if that cycle is not in your life, there's something very wrong because that's how Yeshua and his disciples walked. We must imitate him in that manner. And so next, I'd like to talk to you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, we read about this 
multiple times. I want to read to you one instance where it's very clearly outlined about the baptism of the Spirit, how it occurs, where it occurs, and what it means. Acts 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Yeshua. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Yeshua. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, it's interesting because we see that there's people here who are described as being believers who John baptized into repentance. And Paul comes to them and they, they have never heard of the Spirit of God. They don't know about what's going on. And then and they've not they're not even baptized into Yeshua yet. And so Paul baptizes them into Yeshua. Now, the fact that these believers were believers in God, Yahweh, the Almighty One but yet have not been baptized in terms of Yeshua's baptism. They have not received the Holy Spirit. That that means that it is possible to be a believer in Yeshua and not have the Spirit of God. And so we, we then see that Paul goes and he does baptize them into Yeshua. He baptizes them. But then they don't have the Spirit yet. Because what Paul then must do is he lays hands on them and he prays and they receive the Holy Spirit. That means that it is possible to believe in God, not be baptized in any form or matter, and not have the Spirit of God. It means that you can believe in God, be baptized into Yeshua, but not have the Spirit of God. There are many people out there, and I want to submit that this is so true, that there are many out there who have not received the Spirit of God, even though they're believers, just like these in Acts chapter 19. Just these, like what Paul mentioned today, this is a very prevalent occurrence where people come into the faith and they never receive the spirit of God because they've never been, they've never, they've never understood it. They never realized just like these. They said we didn't even know what this Holy Spirit, we don't know what this Ruach HaKodesh is. We've never heard of this before. In the same way, this is very prevalent today where many may have even heard of, of the, the Ruach HaKodesh, but they don't have a misconception about him. And so because of that, they're never baptized with him. And so this is the picture, guys, is that these are baptism in water and baptism in the spirit are two different things. You can be baptized in one and not the other. It is possible. But what what must happen ideally is that both occur at the baptism in water. This is what must happen is that when someone is baptized, into they come to repentance, true repentance, true heart. They are baptized. They come out of the water and we don't just go and drink some coffee. We don't just go and have our uh, pretty party. We go and we pray. We go and we lay hands on them so they may receive the spirit of God. How? By faith. It's as simple as faith. You see, when we simply ask in faith, God will not give us a stone. He will give us the gift, the promise that Yeshua left when he ascended. And that promise is the spirit of God. And so I'm not saying that, that the laying on of hands is the only way that we can receive the spirit of God. 
But it is a very prevalent way that we read about in the New Testament. And so we must go and we must lay our hands on them so they may receive the Spirit of God. Prophesy, speak in tongues. That is the sign that was here in this specific occurrence. That was the sign that they were full of spirit. And in other words, there was a manifestation of the spiritual gifts when the spirit filled. And so see, this is important that there must be when we when someone is the way we can see whether someone's baptized in the spirit or not is whether there's a manifestation of the gifts in their life. If someone is 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 is, is operating powerfully in the fruits of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit, etc., then they are baptized in the spirit of God. If someone is living in their flesh, they're they're baptized, but they can't. They live in a way that, that honors God. They, they can't walk out the ministry that Yeshua walked out. In other words, you remember when Yeshua came back from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit? After that, He started His ministry. If someone is in that place where you can see they're powerfully walking out that ministry role and in, in in spreading the gospel, then they are filled with the Spirit. But if they totally lack, they probably aren't. You know, brothers and sisters, I've seen people who I've had this many times. One time as in a brother, I had a fellowship. There's a fellowship of a brother. He was baptized and all that. But they went and they drank some coffee after the baptism pool. And they never asked for the Spirit of God to indwell him. And three, four months later in the fellowship, I met him. And, and he, he had no real manifestation of, of the spiritual gifts in his life. And I lay my hands on him and I prayed and I said, Father, I thank you in the name of Yeshua. Father, we bring your spirit upon him right now. And I started speaking in tongues and prophesying over him. And in the same way, he started speaking in tongues and prophesying. And in that moment, he was filled with the spirit. It was this incredible incredible experience for him of freedom yet again of 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 deliverance yet again because the baptism of the spirit just took place and so it is important to have the baptism of the spirit and fire as well as the baptism in water i'd like to read to you the story of elijah and the prophets of baal to better make you understand let you understand what the difference is between the baptism in the water and the baptism in the spirit so the story of Elijah is when Elijah was confronted with the prophets of Baal and he went to demonstrate to them the power of God. He, he, he challenged them to show the power of their gods and then he went to show the power of his God, Yahweh Elohim. And so he went to and he, he let them get their altar together and everything and let them call down fire on the altar. Absolutely, absolutely nothing happened. And then when he came and he built his altar and then he did something really interesting. He challenged them further to go and take water and pour water on this altar. And for three times they came and they poured water on Elijah's altar. And then the following happened. Answer me, O Yahweh, answer me. And let this people know that you are Yahweh Elohim and you shall turn their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the ascending offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And all the people saw and fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. He is God. You see, the water that these men went to pour on the altar for three times represented their unbelief and their sin. 
You know, we talked about how when we go into the water, the water represents the burial site for the old man. The water is what basically cleanses us. It's, it's symbolic of how, you know, water in our physical day and age, it cleanses us, you know, when, if we're dirty. But there, there's a deeper picture where it cleanses us of, of our sin, the spiritual element of that. And so, in other words, when we enter the water, we come back up. In the water stays the dirt. The sin stays in the water. So the water is containing the sin. And in the same way, these people had unbelief, they had sin, and there's water. They're pouring out on the altar. They're pouring it out on there. And then what does God do next? He sends fire down to consume the altar. And it's interesting because the scripture says that it licked up the water. You see, When we go and we are baptized and we come out out of the water, the spirit of God comes to convict us, comes to live in us and convict us of any sin in our life that's left. Anything in our life, it comes to lick up the sin from our life, lick up the water, lick up the residue, if you will. Because if you, brothers and sisters, if you come out of the water, you're still wet. You're still a little dirty. You're much better off. But it's not until you're dry that you're clean, that you're spotless. And in the same way, the father comes with his spirit and his spirit, his fire, and comes and burns up every drop of dirt, every drop of water. And every drop of sin. So he convicts us to now live in the holiness that we are raising up to live. And see, it's not enough to just go and get rid of your sin. You need to now go and live in a way that is in communion with set apartness, with holiness, with the Holy Spirit. And that's the role of the Spirit to convict the world of sin. And that's what he comes to then do to convict us, to be obedient to the law that is written on our heart. You cannot just be clean, but then now have no commitment or a further obedience to the law written on your heart, because then you're just going to get dirty again. And so it is so important for us to then get baptized in water and in the spirit. Because see, brothers and sisters, to only get baptized in water is like if Elijah allowed those prophets to pour the water on the, the altar and just keep it like that and never call down fire from heaven. Because see, that's what we do today. We, we baptize left and right, but we never call down fire from heaven. We never call down the spirit of God, the fire of God to baptize us and cleanse us and live in us. And make us a new creation worthy of ministry and communion and a priesthood with him. Worthy of looking after our sacrifice, our temple and walking as Yeshua walked. Matthew 3.11 says you must be baptized in both water and spirit, water and fire. In John 3, verse 5, Yeshua answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so, brother and sister, I want to leave you with this. What was the problem 
with the Pharisees. They had pride, but also they had no Holy Spirit. They were not filled with the Spirit of God. You know, they kept the commandments. They did all these things. They tried to be obedient to God and they were pretty proud of it too. But they never had the indwelling of the Spirit in them. That actually enabled them to keep the law that God wants to write on our hearts. You see, it's not enough. Listen to me. You cannot keep the law of God by your own works in your own flesh. You must do it by the works of the Spirit done in you. Because if you do it by your own ability, there will always be a false, prideful agenda behind it. Whether it is to exalt your own kingdom, whether it is to um, do this or that or look good in the world like the Pharisees. Whatever it is, if it's not, if the work is not this done by the Spirit of God, it will not manifest the fruit of the Spirit, which is love patience, kindness, selflessness, self-sacrifice, lifting up others above yourself, being a servant, making yourself the least, etc. You see, there is works of the flesh that can be obedient to the law, but actually not. You know, we can, we fool ourselves really in being obedient to the law because obedience to the law is only possible by baptism of the Spirit and doing it by the Spirit. You cannot. Guys, listen, trying to be obedient is like Israel trying to to be to follow God without a temple, without a Levitical priesthood, without any kind of guidance. You see, all of that is a picture of the spirit of God lives in us. He is Yeshua is our high priest. And if we get rid of the spirit of God, we get rid of the high priest. If we get rid of the high priest, we have no access to the spirit of God. It is all connected. And so it is so important for us to pursue the Spirit of God, not just get stuck on on trying to be obedient by our own works. And so when we are ordained as a priest and recognized as a priest in the Spirit, brothers and sisters, you need to understand that this means that there is a change of identity. It means that once you were lost and now you're found, but not only that, you are considered royalty. You are considered to be part of his kingdom, his priesthood, and you're considered that means that he's your father, you're his son. It's like Aaron and his sons, Aaron the high priest and his sons being the priests in the temple. In the same way that's a picture of how we are father, how how Yeshua is our high priest and we are the priest who minister alongside him. That means that if we have intimacy with him, that means that we have value. It means that we're not the we're not we, we are valuable to him, just as valuable as as Aaron's sons was to him too. And God calls us now to tend to our sacrifice in a way that is worthy and not to be like Adab and Abihu who went to offer strange fire in their in the way that they live their sacrifice, but to live in a way that is holy unto God and in a way that is is um, gives honor to their title as priests. Because see, brothers and sisters, the biggest danger that we have today is lukewarmness, is the problem of people being baptized. They think they're saved. They think they're fine. They've got no true repentance. They've got no true change. Their baptism absolutely mean nothing because there is no repentance. And now they think they're saved and they can put the Christian title on them and they live a life that's not worthy of the life a priest ought to live. And it's hypocrisy. And the world sees it and they don't want that. They see this Christian life, the mainstream Christianity we have today, which is so lawless. And they don't want that because of this problem. 
These people never know, knew or understood that they're priests. And with that understanding of that title and that role comes an incredible responsibility to carry themselves as priests in his kingdom. So God calls you to be a priest, he calls you to be a servant in the same time. He calls you to make yourself the least, but walk in power for his kingdom. It's an incredibly beautiful balance. And when you walk it out, others will see and they'll come and say, you need to baptize me. God calls us to make disciples and baptism must be brothers and sisters. Listen to me. Baptism must be an active part of your life. Everyone, not just the pastor, everyone. Many have been thinking that, oh, it's just a pastoral or whatever. No, God calls everyone who has been baptized and who's concerned themselves as a disciple of Yeshua to baptize on a constant basis, constant basis in their life. If you come before him one day and you have not lived the life of making disciples, you have missed the call of Yeshua, which is the great commission of God. The call was to go into the world, make disciples, baptizing them. And so God calls you to baptize and make and call and, and, and call a prophesy over his priesthood that's asleep. All the people who don't know who they are, give them their identity, tell them they're priests, get them full of the spirit of God so they can go and make disciples. And in this way, we will fulfill the great commission. The gospel will reach the ends of the earth. And we have prepared the way for Yeshua, just like John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist started to baptize to prepare the way for the coming king. And today, Yeshua calls us to prepare the way for his second coming. And baptism is how we do it. May God bless you and keep you. I hope this teaching blessed you. If this encourages you, consider subscribing to this YouTube channel, um, liking this video. And if you'd like me to continue making these videos, consider becoming a partner in our ministry so I can do this full time and to serve the body of Christ. May God bless you and keep you. And I'll see you guys in the next video. Shalom.